This fall, in the evening services throughout the month of October, Together in Christ is making available to you four sermons from up-and-coming preachers and teachers from our membership here at Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For the last couple of years, these men have been working to grow their preaching and teaching skills through weekly classes and opportunities to preach to our congregation. This opportunity is given to these men in order for them to put into practice what they are learning and then be encouraged, edified, and sometimes corrected and reproved by our congregation. The following message by Pastor Matt is brought to you by Together in Christ. Well, I'll be totally honest with you this morning, this evening. <clears throat> it rings true what I'm about to say. I'm extremely nervous. My uh, heartbeat right now is probably 170. <clears throat> and I feel the tingle of high blood pressure. <clears throat> so, so bear with me. Um, and in that, uh, my heart is heavy. My heart is heavy for, for what we're about to do tonight. And the weight of, of preaching is, is on me. I really feel that tonight. Um, if you would, turn to, to Psalm 22. Um, that's where we will be tonight. And I'd like to begin with reading a short story. A short story. <clears throat> Elie Wiesel was a survivor of the dreaded Nazi concentration camp, Auschwitz. He wrote of his experiences in the book called The Night. In that book, he relates the harrowing story of two Jewish men and a Jewish boy hanged at the gallows alongside one another. Having mounted the stairs, the two adults cried, long live liberty, but the boy was silent. Behind Wiesel, someone desperately asked, where's God, where is he? And the chairs the victims were standing on were kicked out from underneath them and the three hung there. The adults died quickly, but the boy's weight wasn't great enough to snap his neck immediately. For more than half an hour, he hung there, dying in slow agony before their eyes. Again, Wiesel heard the question, where is God now? And standing there, Wiesel heard a voice within himself answer, where is he? Here he is. He is hanging here on this gallows. When Wiesel said it was hang, when God hanging on the gallows, he indicated the death of his faith. Faith in God died with that hanging child. And I think tonight, much like Wiesel, uh, we all have seen people suffer or suffered ourselves, the loss of loved ones, chronic pain, cancer, or other physical ailments, or even our, just our struggle with sin <clears throat> is a type of suffering in itself. And we're all, we've all been confronted with these questions. Where is God? Where is God now? Why am I going through this, God? And this evening in Psalm 22, we'll find the answers and we'll hopefully find relief. Looking at the sufferings of David, his feelings, his circumstances, and we'll find that David feels forgotten by God 
But in the midst of that, David praises God. And then we'll also see that Christ suffers with us. So I'll begin by reading the first half of Psalm 22, 1 through 21, first part of 21. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my, bro- my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. And there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and and for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. So the first thing we will see in Psalm 22 is David feels forgotten by God. And we see that in his lamenting, his deep expressions of sorrow and grief. And it seems as though God has left David alone and abandoned him. And it seems like God's presence has left David. It seems like God has taken his hand of protection off of him. And it seems as if he is no longer blessing David. God is putting him through the ringer, per se, I can imagine what's going on in David's mind. That God is now rescinding his covenant with David, taking it back, changing his mind. No longer am I going to protect you. I will no longer bless your lineage. I'm no longer building my house through you to establish my kingdom. And David feels as though God has pushed him aside and forsaken him. And it's very clear to us why when we look at his experience here. He's despised and rejected. David surrounded by, an, by his enemies, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. It is evident that everyone around him is his, is his enemies. And it's a good reason, it's a good idea why they despise him and reject him, we find in his mockery, in their mockery. They, they're mocking David's trust in the Lord. And, and in that mockery, they're saying that the Lord has no power to deliver him. His Lord has no power to rescue him. And if the Lord truly delighted in him, then David wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. 
just utter disrespect and disregard for David's trust in the Lord. And many of you may have experienced this uh, with evangelizing those around you. Sharing the gospel to a coworker you may have known for 10, 15, 20 years. And the Holy Spirit convicts you to share the gospel with them. And now they think you're nuts. You've got screws loose. You're one fry short of a happy meal. And they push you away. And one step further, they, they slander you behind your back to your other coworkers. And they forsake your friendship. And at this point, it's easy for us to lose our confidence and, and we can be swayed away from the Lord in order to regain acceptance with that friend. And that is, that is the danger. But David felt forsaken. We also see that David felt restless. With his waning confidence, thoughts begin to grow and fester. They begin consuming David's mind day and night. How did I get here? What is going to happen to me? Am I going to die? In David's shoes, he has no idea if he's going to be captured, tortured, whether he's going to live or he's going to die. And there's no rest mentally or emotionally. He's sleep deprived. His mental and emotional and, and physical states are all suffering. And it's hard to have thoughts that make sense. And it's hard to make good decisions. And we see why when we look at what David is experiencing. Imprisonment by force. Those who are surrounding him are described as bulls and dogs and lions. The brute size and force of a charging bull and the pack mentality of dogs cornering their prey. The strength and ferocity and fear that a lion brings. And who is David to defend himself against these things? Some of you have experienced imprisonment. Not the imprisonment of David, though. Some of you have experienced imprisonment when you go to your mother-in-law's house for Thanksgiving or Christmas. No? But that's not really what we're talking about here, right? As David's enemies surround him, there's nowhere for him to go. He's not strong enough on his own to escape. He has no idea what's going to happen to him. No idea whether he's going to be killed, tortured, or tortured or killed. He feels restless. Kim Kuk Gi, say that 10 times fast. Kim Kuk Gi, South Korean pastor sent as a missionary to Dangdong, China in 2003. And for 13 years, he ministered to North Korean refugees, including orphans there in Dandong supplying sewing machines and noodle and tofu making machines to send to the north. But in 2015, North Korea uh, detained and accused him and his partner, Choi, for being heinous terrorists, spreading religious propaganda from an underground church. And their sentence for this crime was hard labor for life. And Kim and Choi have been subject to that hard labor in prison for almost five years now just shy of 1,800 days. No hope in sight for their release, not knowing if they will survive another day, month, or year, not knowing if they will ever see their families again. David has no idea whether he will live or die, and this leaves him feeling restless. So David feels forsaken, he feels restless, and he also feels helpless. 
unable to pull himself up, unable to defend for himself. He feels like there is no hope, there's no help for him, there's, there's no chance of having happiness or joy ever again. It feels like there is no option but death. And we see why he feels like this in verse 18. His loss of dignity. David describes himself as a worm. In verse six, he's no longer a man. He has lost all of his dignity. His clothing and his possessions all stripped from him. Everything that made him a man has been taken from him. His will to live is poured out like water. His well of strength and perseverance has run dry like a potsherd, a clay pot. If not used and is left out, it dries out. It cracks and it breaks. Once it had purpose, now it doesn't. It is now stripped of that and it's utterly useless. David's dignity has been lost and he feels helpless. But he's also facing imminent pain and ultimately his death. His wounds too much to recover from. He can count his bones as they protrude from his skin and there's now nothing keeping him from death. Anyone who's watched National Geographic documentaries about wild dogs and lions knows a lot about this. They hunt their prey. They corner them, they pin them down, they bite, they shred, they clench, and they writhe to deepen the wounds. As the prey makes its last attempt to escape, it realizes there is no escape and it cries for help. And the hunters make their last circle around the dying prey, staring it down, gloating over their victory. There's only one goal, and it's death. There's only one goal for David's enemies, and it's his death. Like the soldier sitting in the fetal position back against the wall of a trench, his eyes closed, picturing his, his brothers and his comrades of, the, of his squad and, and platoon around him fighting, depending, defending the point against the enemy. And when he comes to himself, he opens his eyes and he sees all of his comrades laid to waste. And the deafening silence is broken by the enemy forces surrounding him. David feels forsaken. David feels restless and David feels helpless. And all these feelings culminate in David's fear that he has been forgotten by God. And you see it in his laments. Where is God? Where is he? Do not be far off. It seems that God is not answering David's crying. It seems that he's not even listening. It seems that God has forgotten about him altogether, that David is dead to him, abandoned, disowned, and forgotten. I think we have all asked ourselves these questions in a variety of situations that we've experienced. A loving God would never allow this kind of evil. Surely God would not allow this to happen to me. And as we saw earlier in the story, the two men and, and the boy, this is very important to remember that though David feels that God has forgotten him, his feelings deceive him. Our feelings deceive us. We can feel as though God has forgotten us, but the truth of God's word remains the same. The promises of God remain the same. And here's what David does to his lamenting. He consoles himself. He comforts himself with the truth. So David feels forsaken. 
He feels restless. He feels helpless. Ultimately, he feels forgotten. And what he does is he consoles himself by reminding himself of who God is, God's holiness and God's providential care. God is holy. He is sacred, the most special, the specialist, if you will, set above everything with the highest priority, protected, seen as most precious. And we see this in the passage in the verse three, that God deserves all praise. Enthroned on the praises of Israel, why does he deserve all praise? Because he is transcendent. He goes beyond all our limits, space, time, length, width, what have you. God is beyond all of that. He's also beyond our understanding. Anything, any wisdom that we can come to on our own, he is greater than, he is beyond. He deserves all praise. God is also just. And this sense of justice comes with the word that David uses holy in verse six. And Alec Mott here explains this very well. He says, whatever severity of the trial, no reproach is allowed against God. He is still the holy one. And since holy expresses the central essence of the divine nature, however foes may seem to triumph, he is still the God of power and might. Though it may seem that God is losing, though it may seem that he is losing in your suffering, he justifies it. It's means and it's ends. God is just and he deserves all praise. David reminds himself that God is holy. And David also reminds himself that God is his providential caretaker, that God provides for his people, specifically David, physically. Even as an, a newborn baby, God provides him physical nourishment and growth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. David doesn't know anything other than God's provision since the time that he was born. God provides for him physically, but he also provides for him spiritually. He provided his parents to bring him up in the ways of the Lord. God provides for his people, specifically David, but also for David's father and his fathers. Because they trusted in him, God provided their rescue and they were not put to shame. God provides for his people. God has a plan for his people. From where we are, we view David as if we're in the, the stratosphere, really. Having the word of God, we can see that God has purpose in his faithfulness of David's fathers, purpose in rearing him, molding him to put his trust in the Lord, and then also purpose for David, his kingship. Though it was imperfect, David was known as the man after God's own heart. And God is trustworthy to provide for his people through his plans. So David reminds himself of who God is, that God is holy, and that God is a providential caretaker. So you may ask the question, well, why did he remind himself of these things? Why did he remind himself of God's holiness and, and providential care? Well, one, it gives purpose to our circumstances. David reminds himself of that because it gives purpose to his suffering. 
Nothing happens outside of God's sight and care. He had a plan for his grandparents. He has a plan for his parents. And now God has a plan for David. And that should be comforting to us, knowing that we are not left up to chance or chaos, but that God uses suffering to grow our trust and our dependence on him. So it gives purpose to our circumstances and our suffering, but it also calms our anxieties. In today's world, it's really easy for us to elevate ourself. Uh, this, uh, some people will call it egotism. It's very easy to, to say, everything is about me. And in doing that, what we're saying is that we have no regard for God's plan. We're saying that my plan is better. And what that does is it puts a huge pressure on us and we fail miserably in it. And that causes anxiety. But the word of God says that everything is about God. And when we have that mindset, our selfishness turns to selflessness. When we relinquish control to God, then everything is about God. It, come, it changes from my plan is better to God's plan is better. And we are no longer on the line, but God is on the line. Today, in order to be a responsible adult, you know, there's certain things that we have to do, like pay bills buy food so that we can eat and survive, pay the heating bill and the electricity bill, expenses, gas costs, maintenance on the house and the yard and the car, all these things we're in charge of and we're in control of. And this is, this is just how adulting goes. But I want you to remember when you were a child, there was no responsibility there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing on the radar. Your checklist for the day was as follows. Play with toys. Poop in your diaper. Eat food that's given to you. And sleep. Rinse and repeat every four hours. That's all the responsibility. No responsibility, really. So just as your parents bore that responsibility when you were a child. God bears that responsibility now. When we were children, we didn't see how our parents provided for us. There was no worry. There was no restlessness. It was all out of sight and out of mind. There was only a blissful understanding that you were provided for. And that is how we are to understand God's providential care over us. So David reminds us of who God is, his holiness and his providential care to give purpose in our circumstances, to calm our anxieties, but also to feed truth to our doubting. It's very easy for us, uh, for our feelings to cloud our thoughts. And in that, it's, it's hearing the voice of reason can be very hard. But when remembering the promises of God's word and who he is, remembering that God's truth is truth, whether we feel it or not, and resting in that, it feeds truth to our doubting. Our circumstances and our feelings change, but God remains the same. The famous hymn writer Horatio Bonar says this in one of his hymns, my love is oft times low, my joy still ebbs and flows, but peace with him remains the same. 
No change Jehovah knows. I change, he changes not. David feels as though God has forgotten him. He laments about what he is feeling. Forsaken, restless, helpless, forgotten. He laments about what he is experiencing. And then he consoles himself with the truth about who God is, that God is holy, that God is our providential caretaker. But now David shows us that we are called to praise God in every situation. No matter how you feel or what you are going through, we are to praise God. And this is exactly what David does. So I'll read the second half of Psalm 22, starting in the second half of verse 21. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall bow before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over all the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. God, David praises God despite his suffering. And what we see here is that David's lamenting, his deep expression of sorrow and grief turns into praise despite his suffering. And he goes into detail on in the ways that God lifts up those who are suffering. He praises the goodness of God towards those who are suffering. God does not despise or reject the suffering. He does not mock the suffering, but he welcomes the suffering, not by force, not by imprisonment, and the suffering seeks for him, and God welcomes them in. He gives worth to the suffering. The sufferer stands before the Lord in awe with nothing to give, nothing to contribute, in utter humility. Yet the sufferer eats and is satisfied. God gives purpose to the sufferer, and their worth is found in God. God remembers the suffering. He hears their prayers. He's not hidden his face from them. God gives rest to the suffering, all the families of the nations. Kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. He is in charge and control over everything. And the sufferer rests knowing that God is in control of his suffering, knowing that there is purpose in it. And God gives hope to the suffering. There's more to life than your suffering. In life or in death, there is hope. There is hope. 
hope of an eternity in the presence of God, in the midst of the celestial congregation. The things of earth will all pass away, but behold, he is making all things new, and the sufferer's soul will rest eternally with God. And David praises God despite his suffering. And though his suffering has not changed, he tells himself of God's goodness toward the sufferer and praises him. But not only does David's lamenting, his, his, his deep expressions of sorrow and grief turn to praise, but his consoling turns into devotion, acts of worship, stand in awe of him, bow before him, my vows I will perform, serve him, eat and be satisfied, eat and worship, tell of your name to my brothers, proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. All of these are acts of devotion. All of these are worship, but it's a certain worship. It's a confident worship. It's a sure worship. I will tell of your name to my brothers. I will perform my vows. All the ends of the earth shall remember. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. It is a certain devotion. It is a certain worship. And it's also an enthusiastic devotion. He has fervor for the Lord, a passion for the Lord. He is zealous for the Lord, excited over the cause of the Lord. Whatever the Lord regards as right, David is ready to exclaim. And if we would remind ourselves of who God is, our lamenting will turn to praise, our consoling into devotions and worship, despite our circumstances and our feelings, despite our suffering. David praised God, and this should also be our response to suffering. David feels as though God has forgotten him, but David praises him despite his suffering, remembering the goodness of God toward the suffering. He praises God. And lastly, Christ suffers with us. You may have had this question looming in your, in your brain. If not, that's okay, I'll give you the question. And the question is this, did David experience death at the, end, at, his, at the hands of his enemies? Did David experience death at the hands of his enemies? And what we see is that Psalm 22 goes beyond any of David's physical experiences. He never experienced death by the hands of his enemies. David died of old age in his bed, surrounded by his family, giving his blessing to Solomon. He was not tortured to death in the hands of his enemies. But this does not demean in any way what David is saying. No doubt he experienced all of this in his life. Some of it physically, not all of it physically, but some of it, some of it mentally, emotionally, and some hypothetically, uh, not literally, not knowing what would happen to him. And, and when I think of this, I, I try to think of David's mind when he was running uh, from Saul. He did not know if Saul was going to find him. So that begs another question. If David did not literally experience suffering and death like this, then why is this passage so detailed? Why is it so specific and what I think is going on is that it's alluding to the fact of a foreshadowing of a greater 
sufferer. What I, what I think is that David is now prophesying. And I would like for you to turn to Matthew 27. And I'll give you a moment to do that. Matthew 27. And we'll start in verse 27. Matthew 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemme sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But but the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This passage breathes life into Psalm 22. It gives purpose to its details. Despised, rejected, mocked, imprisoned, losing his dignity, inhumanely tortured, and death. Is this not exactly what David has said in Psalm 22? These are the very words of Christ. His circumstances, his feelings, This is Christ's suffering. Looking back at Psalm 22, verse 26 stands out to me. Verse 26, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. The sufferings of Christ shed light to this verse. It paints a broader stroke over who the afflicted are but it also specifically 
etches the afflicted's names in Christ's wounds. Humanity is the afflicted, corrupted by sin. We are the afflicted, rebelling against the holy God. Our sin separates us from him. We have nothing to bring. We are like the worm, helpless to give a defense, not able to keep ourselves alive. The afflicted are also those who seek him. All throughout scripture is the, is the theme. God drawing to himself a people, specifically in Ezekiel 36, 24 through 29. He will gather them from all nations. He will cleanse them with clean water. He will remove their hearts of stone and give them a new heart and put his spirit within them, causing them to walk in his statutes, delivering them from all uncleanness. The afflicted. They also eat and are satisfied. They eat the sufferings of Christ. Our sins paid in full on the cross. Christ being the substitute for our sin. Christ taking the wrath for our sin, wiping our sin away completely clean. And their souls are satisfied. No longer eternally wandering. No longer endlessly searching for fulfillment. No longer shaped by the world around them. The afflicted will praise the Lord, devoting their lives to him, praising him despite their affliction, devoting themselves to him despite their suffering and their hearts will live forever held up by the sufferings of Christ, forever satisfied in him. That is what Christ accomplishes through his suffering. The saving of sinners, the vilest offenders washed clean through their faith in Christ, trusting in Christ's suffering, repenting of their vile. He suffered to become the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Christ suffers with us. The end of Hebrews 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may have mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Christ suffered on the cross to bring about eternal salvation. But now Christ suffers with us. He is our sympathetic savior. Christ suffers with us. The hymn writer Thomas Kelly says this, stricken, smitten, and afflicted, see him dying on the tree. Tis the Christ by man rejected. Yes, my soul, tis he, tis he. Tis the long expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord. By his son, God now has spoken. Tis the true and faithful word. Here we have a firm foundation. Here the refuge of the lost. Christ, the rock of our salvation. His the name of which we boast. Lamb of God for sinners wounded. Sacrifice to cancel guilt. None shall ever be confounded who on him 
their hope have built. We began this evening with a story from Elie Wiesel, the two men and the young boy who were hanged at the gallows. But I left off the last conclusion, which was written by John Stott. And he says this, when Wiesel said it was God hanging on the gallows, he indicated the death of his faith. Faith in God died with that hanging child. But there is another interpretation that God suffers with those who suffer. Seen most visibly in the death of Christ, hanging on his own gallows, the cross. So though you may feel that you have been forgotten by God, your feelings deceive you. When those feelings come, remind yourself that God is holy, that God is just, that he is providentially taking care of you. He has a plan for you and he has a purpose for you. We are called to praise God in all situations, regardless of what kind of suffering we go through because Christ suffers with us. He sympathizes with our every hurt because Christ suffered death so that we may have eternal salvation through him. Put your hope in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we know these words are heavy. But I ask that your spirit would keep applying them to our hearts and reminding us of them. Lord, as you may to us feel as you're miles away, remind us that you draw near to the sufferer. Remind us of who you are. Remind us of your holiness. Remind us of your providence over us. Lord, help us to praise you despite our suffering, despite what we're going through. Help our lamenting turn into praise. Help our consoling turn into devotion. Lord, remind us of your suffering, that you paid the ultimate price to save us. And now you suffer with us as we walk through life. Lord, you are our help. You are our helper. You are our deliverer. And whether we continue to suffer in this life or not, we know that in life or in death, eventually we will spend eternity with you. Lord, for those here that do not know you, I ask that you would draw them to yourself, that you would convict them, that you would reveal to them the words of your salvation. And Lord, as we leave, we ask for your blessing. We ask that you would remind us of your hope and your peace. Keep us, preserve us. We ask in Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Matt from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. 
For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.